Welcome guys to the JPS Education Portal and we are back with Mackenzie Baker and Anna. How are you going guys? Excellent. Well, thank Living you. The Living the dream. I like that. And on that note, we are going to be talking about living the dream and social eating. So how people are obviously attempting to socialize while eating and the impact that has with their nutrition and fitness goals. Obviously, this time of year can be quite a tricky one with increased frequency of social occasions around the holiday and festive season. So Mac, I thought I'd pass it over to you first to Describe what social eating is. Is it just having a meal with somebody else or is it eating outside of the home environment or regular environments? What characterizes uh, social eating uh, versus non-social eating? Jeez, that's a really good question, Jacob. I've never really thought about it that way. Um, I would probably categorize a social meal or social eating. It doesn't necessarily have to be a meal per se, as any meal that is in the presence of others. Um, and it is one of the reasons why we would choose to eat something. Um, I think a lot of people in the fitness space, health space, you know, you hear people say things like food is fuel, blah, blah, blah. And like, of course that is true, but you know, it's a part of human culture to interact, to build and strengthen important connections with other humans uh, via the vehicle of food. And I think uh, those sort of social meals serve a really important purpose uh, within an overall sort of well-balanced, positive, uh, health-seeking life. Um, so we shouldn't shun social meals. I think we should really be focusing on how we can manage them as a part of our sort of healthy eating slash weight loss, physique, whatever, uh, goals and endeavors. Roger and Anna, how would you describe social eating building on uh, what Mac has outlined there? Uh, I mean, I think obviously I agree with that. Can't really poke too many holes in that one. But the thing that I think interesting is Mac's just to find it as with anyone. And so that would mean that a social meal includes meals with your partner, meals with your family. Um, and I think we should probably highlight that there are social meals where you are less influenced by the environment than others. And the family environment might not be one where you are as substantially influenced by the behavior of others around you as a social meal, as in like someone else's birthday or a barbecue or a Christmas function. Like there are, I guess there's like a bit of a scale here that should probably be recognized um you know dinner with my partner is not something that i change my eating habits for yeah i think that's a really important distinction is that the level of influence or pressure um from external uh, factors such as the environment obviously the food availability um and the the people that you're eating with so peers uh would all uh play into the social eating experience and dictates your food choices. So uh, Mac, when we are in a situation where we have great external pressures, why do these pressures exist in the first place? And why do people find them so hard uh, to work around when people obviously they value uh, eating well and you know, trying to achieve say a fat loss goal, um, but then they're always giving in to quote unquote temptation mm. and 
at, you know, at the mercy of their peers uh, when eating out? Yeah, I think that um, there are a number of influencing factors here. Uh, social conformity is a huge one, you know, wanting to fit in, wanting to be part of the gang, so to speak, uh, a bit of FOMO. Um, so there is that sort of wanting to conform um, and not want to be like the odd one out when everyone else is sort of having a good time and enjoying a certain cuisine or a meal. You don't want to be that person who's not who's not really getting involved because I think you know, enjoying a social meal properly and and getting the full benefit from that connection component is not just about being present. You know, a lot of people will say, well, like it's just about you being there. Like you could just eat your meal out of a Tupperware and the, the impact or the outcome would be the same. And I would disagree with that because I think actually enjoying the cuisine together is a part of that bond that you get with um, social meals. So there's that side of things. I also think the types of food uh, that you'll typically see in a social setting. Uh, again, as Anna said there, which was quite uh, a really good point, it depends on who you're with or what the context context is. So, you know, a meal with your partner is probably not going to be under the same level of influence as just like a Christmas party with everyone from work. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a, I think, the types of food, the palatability. And then also I think a lot of the anticipation that is attached or the excitement or or whether there is a celebratory component that is attached to the meal, I think those factors can heavily influence someone's propensity to eat in a manner that is away from their or not aligned with their fitness and health goals. But I also want to highlight that that's not necessarily a bad thing and I think there's often a time and place to expect and accept steps away from optimal nutrition goal, physique, health, physical health goal, best practice, because we remember that health is is more than just more than that. And the social component is is a, a key area that needs attention too. Yeah, there's a number of uh, things to unpack there. Anna, is there anything that you want to contribute to that because i think uh i could see you nodding along there with plenty to say yeah i mean i think um i think just kind of touching on what max said at the end most people's nutrition goals tie back to a health goal and so for them to be eating in alignment with their overall goals as a person as against just their nutrition goals quite often it does mean deviating from the structure of a more typical day or or like you know eating in a deficit or x number of servings of this thing um and quite often that needs to be a place if you're working with a client or if you're thinking about your own goals that we need to start when we consider how to approach those social situations because if you consider it in the context of your wider goals which might be being a healthy human demonstrating good food habits for your children or you know, any of those types of things, it probably actually does fit into those goals much more neatly than we think, because we like to just catastrophize and say like, oh, I ate too much or what, you know, whatever it was. But um, stepping back, looking at that overall context of what you want out of your nutrition goals is probably equally important. Yeah, I totally agree. And I guess I'll push back here uh, with a very common experience for a lot of coaches and people is that, yeah, cool, I value my social goals, but I want to achieve my fat loss goal 
Um, you know, I don't want to eat out, you know, I'm, you know, afraid of eating out because then I'll blow my calorie budget and, you know, won't make progress this week. And they don't necessarily, uh, have that alignment in their, or their ability to, I guess, shift between different value structures in any given situation might be lacking. So how would you approach that, uh, with a client? I've had this one relatively recently, I, I think. Um, and the way I pushed back on that belief from the client was, you know, are there food goals beyond fat loss that you have? And thankfully for this person, I knew there were, I knew what she was going to say, which was like, yes, I actually, I do want to learn better food skills, better eating habits and better, you know, like being faced with food and not just having my fitness pal out all the time. And those social situations where you are deviating actually become a really important opportunity to practice some of those things. And we may choose to implement some ways to take a more moderate approach with those social situations rather than the full let your hair down and eat anything in sight approach, um, but actually getting in touch with hunger cues, with your experience along the way, being mindful in your consumption. And I think... Um, like that pushback is totally fair. It absolutely makes sense. But if that's your only pushback, you're also essentially stating, I don't care about any food goal or any improvement in my eating beyond the number on the scales, which I think is probably untrue for the vast majority of people at the end of the day when they're really thinking about it. Yeah, I would agree. I think most people get fixated on the scale uh, and it's a very misguided fixation. Like for some uh, reason, uh, which is mostly justified, uh, you know, they have this uh, very obsessive uh, goal to lose weight, and they struggle to to move away from that and accept that there might be other goals, which could be contradictory to uh, their scale weight goal. Mac, is there anything that you want to add to this discussion? Yeah, I think there's a few points I wanted to make. So yeah, totally get it. Like, there is, uh, it's undeniable that a frequent social schedule will impact one's ability to achieve their nutrition or physique type goals just on the surface level goals like the the weight loss or muscle gain type goals i think that's undeniable and as josh smith would always say like we don't always have solutions we have trade-offs and that is the reality of the situation but i think a good question we need to ask ourselves or we need to prompt our clients to ask themselves is you know, are you going to eliminate social meals forever? Um, because when we're faced with a nutrition speed bump or barrier, we can really try and eliminate it or we can try and manage its impact. And when it comes to social occasion, I think 99% of people will say, yeah, I'm not going to eliminate social occasions from my life. That's not the life that I want to live. And then the pushback to that might be, well, you know, it's not a forever thing, like just for a period of time, I'm going to eliminate social occasions. And if you're pursuing a high level goal, of course, like do that for a period of time. Mm -hmm. But I, I would sort of then say, okay, well, do you want to be healthy for a week or do you want to create a new approach to food that will allow you to improve your health and happiness in the long run? And if you want the latter, then it's cool if you sort of go a little bit, you know, like reduce the socializing a little bit. That's cool. But just remember, if you want to maintain this sort of high level of health in the long run, 
you do need to figure out how to manage social occasions. Otherwise, you'll kind of end up reverting and going back to your original position, which I would argue, you know, kind of what's the point of that? So yeah, like in summary, cool if you want to reduce for a bit, but I think there is a key importance in actually, as Anna said, using social occasions as an opportunity, not viewing them as a threat, using them as an opportunity to build skills, develop those skills uh, and build confidence to actually find your sweet spot with social occasions rather than viewing them as, like I said, a threat or something that you fear. And, and, and that can actually lead people to not socialize. Um, and that's when people sort of like, mm -hmm. you know, they lose contact with their friends because they're worried about how the social uh, occasion might actually impact their nutrition goals. And I don't think that's something that a lot of people would want for themselves. Yeah, spot on. Two things uh, that I took away from that that I think are really useful is shifting the perception that social eating is a threat and viewing it as an opportunity. I think that is of huge importance. And uh, for those of you listening, I think that's a really good way to frame social eating um, because it's inevitable for most people. Um, you know, unless you are a very neurotic bodybuilder who is a recluse, it's very likely you're going to have to eat out eventually. Um, so the second thing that I took away from that was that you mentioned there are uh, skills that people need and they also uh, want to build confidence. So we know that competency uh, is something that Fortitude Nutrition is very big about, Mac, um, as part of uh, self-determination theory. So obviously competency um, is, you know, the skill set that we uh, develop over time and becoming you know proficient in something. So what are the specific skills then, Mackenzie Baker, that people need to develop when it comes to social eating? Yeah, that's that's another really good question. Jacob, you're full of good questions, mate. Um, Thank you. Plenty of time to prepare before we start. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say... Um, the first thing is practicing permission and practicing the practice of eating or indulging in a manner that respects the purpose behind the occasion. So to rephrase that, it's respecting different meals for their intended purpose and understanding that, you know, you're not going to have a Mars bar because you want to maximize muscle protein synthesis or like physical health, like anyone who eats a Mars bar is not doing it for that reason. Someone who goes and has a glass of wine with dinner, sort of the same thing. Um, so I think, yeah, the first thing is uh, giving yourself permission to eat with respect for the purpose um, and then taking a different mindset that both expects and respects. So expects steps away from optimality and respects that that is okay with an averages over time sort of mindset. And then another component with that is not being all or nothing. Uh, and that is a part of the intuitive eating framework, like non-dichotomous. I'm not saying like, this is not an argument for everyone should be intuitive eating. I'm just highlighting that that is a part of the framework um, where again, you're respecting meals for the different uh, purpose, their different intended purpose. Uh, and you know, not being all or nothing again, having that averages over time mindset. And I would also add like 
if you are expecting that it is a deviation and you're like your understanding is that it's all a bit of a grayscale, you can make decisions in the moment or ahead of time that allow you to step further or less far away from a goal. Like if you're in a social situation that doesn't really float your boat and it's not going to enhance your experience to participate in like immense overeating or, or whatever, like you're at the leaving due for the colleague that you've spoken to once in your life. Like that's not necessarily a situation where you are going to choose to like seriously step away from your typical eating patterns. Whereas if it's your own, you know, 21st birthday or something like that, you might choose to be a little bit more relaxed with your approach. So I think having those expectations and being able to grade them or temper them to the situation ahead of you um, or, or in front of you rather, if it's in the moment, is also a skill itself. Like you just don't have to make the same actions in every single social situation. You can, like it's fine, but you don't have to. I think that is a huge hit the nail on the head there. And I think that's where people struggle is that very graded approach to, cool, I'm going to indulge eight out of 10 here because I really want to. It's an important event. I'm just going to not worry about anything versus, okay, I'm going to scale that back to a one or two. People are, as Max said, very much all or nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys do a really good job of sort of zooming out at the the mindset and some of the bigger picture stuff, such as avoiding dichotomous thinking, um, you know, all or nothing mentality and having a long-term perspective um, and picking your moments based on the importance of that social event. However, if we zoom in a little bit, right? So we zoomed out and these are the things like mindset, uh, you know, I guess approaches that people want to take. When we zoom in and people are actually sitting at the table in a social event, what skills do they then need when they are going into those situations? So Mac, your advice to some of your clients, if they're going out and they have um, had these conversations with you about the importance of this social meal, uh, they're looking at um, trying to avoid that all or nothing mentality. What then do you advise them to help ensure that they're making decisions that align with their health goals uh, without you know detrimenting their nutrition goals too much or making those trade-offs? What are the skills in the moment that people uh, should be looking to improve? Another great question, mate. Skills in the moment. Um, so you might hear a lot of folks say, oh, it's all right. Just, uh, fit it into your macros. Now this is going to require, okay. (laughs) It has its place and purpose, right? I see the point. Okay. Um, has its place and purpose, but again, it's like, do you want to be doing this? How accurate are you realistically going to be able to do it? Is it a long-term solution or is it just a bandaid? So I'm a, I'm a bigger fan of, I like to use the three P's. So uh, permission, which is what I covered before, permission to uh, eat with respect for the occasion. Uh, presence. So that's kind of being present in the moment, um, enjoying it slowly, not kind of rushing with your food decisions. And there are a few things that you can do to bolster the level of presence, such as having a protein and plant snack sort of in the, um, the hours prior to the occasion. So you're taking the edge off hunger, uh, making sure you're well hydrated and relaxed. And then we also have principles, which is probably more of the stuff you're referring to Jacob, where it's like practical in the moment strategies. Um, so principles would be something like focusing on protein and plants, 
um, going easy on the liquid calories, going easy on the alcohol, like a minimum effective dose mindset. If you are going to have alcohol or sort of really any indulgence, um, considering higher calorie ingredients or food. So uh, if we were to compare, say, a fried um, schnitzel compared to a grilled piece of meat. So that would be an example where we can make decisions based on the calorie density difference uh, between those two things uh, and obviously sources, cooking oils, like just being aware of those typical uh, traits and characteristics that we would want to consider if we were looking to manage our calories. Um, so that would sort of fall in the principles category. So like I said, in summary, um, permission, presence, principles. Awesome. Mm. Awesome. You love your acronym, acronyms. Anna. They're so good. I use them all the time. I send so many clients to his page. They're it's very great. handy. They're very handy. I love Anna, it. What uh, advice would you have to someone when they're looking to develop these similar skills in the moment? You better have a fancy acronym on hand. <laughs> yep. Um, so I use the beluga method. I just need to pick a really long, crazy word now. Um, no. So, I mean, I think just adding to what Mac was saying, like, when we, when we do skill development for other things, so like I coach a lot of gymnastics. So for example, like I usually break down the skill for someone, we watch them do it and then we slow the video down and we watch it together and we highlight where are the areas where things are difficult. Like it's really hard to learn skills in real time. And it's a lot of pressure when you're trying to practice a skill in the moment, if you haven't had time to like think about it and slow down ahead of time. So one of the things that I talk about with my clients is slowing down the space between desire and decision. So finding ways to increase the amount of time that they have between the moment that the thing pops up, you know, the cake lands in front of you or the, you know, you, you go to the restaurant and those temptations arrive in front of you. Like if you've had a bit of time to kind of like mentally frame those decisions with more space to do so, so you can slow it down. So you can watch that video back, then make the decision. You're more likely to have a successful outcome. So one of the things that I'll do with people is say like thinking about like, put yourself in the, in that position, think ahead to that birthday dinner or that, you know, like Christmas party or whatever. Talk me through what the temptations will be talk me through what your desires will be talk me through who the influences are in those moments um how like how do you want to respond to that how will you feel good about responding to that what's going to impact on that and like everyone gives you the the perfect outcome right away and then you say all right now <laughs> all hell breaks loose what happens and so just being able to talk through those different scenarios and being quite realistic about it um i think can help a lot as well as a few tools in the moment to decide like do I want to continue eating this thing? Do I want to eat that? Do I want to eat less of that? How do I want to balance this? What are the ways to look at this menu differently? Um, so yeah, I think I think slowing down is a really, really big one. And I do ask people for a fair bit of like thinking about it ahead of time, if we can afford that. Like obviously you're not going to do that for every event, but once they've done that a couple of times, they start to have those questions in their head of like, what is a good way to look at this? One of the ones that Mac or I've stolen from Mac is um, he talks about the logical, enjoyable dose. So one of the questions I might ask a client if we're pre like discussing an event is, okay, what's the, what's the minimum enjoyable dose? Like let's not go in with your Tupperware. What, what's the least amount of food that you would have, or what's the least 
you know, experiential food thing that you could get away with and still have a good time. And then we go to the other end of the spectrum and say, what's the max? Like, at what point are you really regretting it in the moment? And that already has given them sort of like buffers of like, okay, well, I know I want to be in this sweet spot. And then within that, we can discuss like, what is the most logical, enjoyable dose? And they've thought through the consequences of going to either side of that as well. I really like that. I think uh, the rehearsal component uh, is very useful for people. And it's something that I do with my clients as well, is to have them imagine the scenario and walk through it, um, playing out multiple different scenarios, um, you know, in the situation that they nail it, do everything that they said they wanted to do prior to going into that social event uh, in the circumstances when things go south and they might overindulge, what do you do then? I think these kind of things are very useful tools. So building on that, with uh, the festive period ahead, a lot of people, uh, excuse my French, shit the bed uh, when it comes to uh, this period of the year. And it is notorious for weight gain. And a lot of people do gain uh, weight. There's quite a bit of research on uh, holiday weight gain. And it's uh, not the be all end all. And a lot of people uh, do... Uh, lose weight during the year, but there are some people who are at higher risk of weight gain during this period. And they're typically people who are less active, uh, higher body uh, fat percentages, as well as individuals with history of dieting, interestingly enough. So with this festive season coming up, obviously you, a lot of your clients, Mac, will be uh, you know working towards approaching this in a mindful and adaptive manner. So how do you, I guess, give advice specific to the festive period, given that there is just such a large increase in social eating. It's not your typical month where you might go out, you know, once or twice for, you know, birthday or whatever it is, you might have a meal out once a week. There's like multiple indulgent uh, opportunities um, and people are very overwhelmed and they might struggle, uh, you know, with the, the frequency and the magnitude of these events. Yeah. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, First, before I answer that, I'll say I really like the um, rehearsing thing that you guys mentioned. Um, the boss business babes from the Gold Coast would call that manifesting, manifesting the social occasion. <laughs> That's right. We're manifesting uh, adaptive eating behaviors. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, what I would probably say, again, is first point, um, again, expect and respect like expect it's going to be indulgent respect it for its purpose second point would be um, remember that weight maintenance is not a fixed value it's actually a range so if you go on holidays for a week and you kind of increase a little bit of weight you know have you left maintenance i would argue not because your weight's going to fluctuate anyway based on you know what sort of weeks you're having um like if you're having a very active week maybe for work reasons um so an example would be like lately i've been working with my brother a lot in in earth moving and like some weeks we have weeks where you know it's like hard yakka all day and then other weeks we're just like sitting in the machines all day on our asses so like factors like that might influence trends in body weight but have we left the weight maintenance range? And I would argue not And just like life. We have different weeks where we do different things and you might gain a little bit of weight, but you know, it'll probably correct itself because you get a little bit over socializing sort of come mid January or late January or something like that. Um, Josh Smith has a fantastic one. 
which is the 10, 10, 10 strategy or 10, 10, 10 kind of mental questioning where it's like asking yourself, how will you feel in sort of 10, 10 minutes, 10 days, and then 10 years. So it's like, if you make an indulgent decision, you might not feel good about it in 10 minutes, but in 10 years, you might look back at that and say, well, I had a really good time with say this family member or family members or, or something like that. And that's like a memory I'll cherish. And I'm glad that I, you know, you know, enjoy that. Like for me personally, in, in the past, I've not attended social occasions or I've not enjoyed social occasions because I've been too restrictive. And, you know, a few years later now, I look back on that and I'm like, damn, like, okay, 10 minutes after the occasion, I was happy with myself. I was like, oh yeah, I'm still, I'm still adhering to the contract, you know? Um, And then, but now I'm like, damn, like I've missed out on key important social meals and there's like an element of regret there. So that would be sort of where I would be starting. Live without regrets, Mac. I do like uh, Josh's 10, 10, 10. I think you probably butchered it though, but I'll have to ask Josh. Um, I have a similar approach with my clients. Like how will you feel immediately after that event? Obviously, in some cases, they may not feel great if they've uh, indulged. How will they feel uh, you know, in the days and weeks ahead? Like, is it going to be something that's really going to impact their progress and they're going to look back on and think that was just the stupidest decision I've ever made? Most likely not. Uh, and then obviously, uh, you know, further down the track, like, you know, if we look at averages, is this one occasion really going to make a dent in your progress? Um, and that's just, uh, again, another little mental tool I teach a lot of my clients, uh, which is a very similar approach, is to zoom in and zoom out. So if you zoom in, yep, could be the end of the world. You might you know, want to have a mental breakdown because the scale went up 500 grams. But if you zoom out and actually look at the big picture, it's probably less relevant to blip on the radar. So totally in agreement with all that. Very useful stuff. Anna, what would you like to add? Um, well, what would I like to add? I think one of the things that I really like to equip clients with before this time of year, if possible, is making sure they have good skills in terms of regulating their hunger and fullness and also some mindful eating practices. And that doesn't mean like, I know like mindful eating is like a whole thing in and of itself, but I really just mean like eating at a pace that makes sense for them. Um, you know, not wolfing it down and being distracted by everything else and not necessarily enjoying it. Um, and also if they're very familiar with what level of hunger and what level of fullness is appropriate and enjoyable for them, they're less likely to go overboard, or at least if they go overboard, it'll be a more deliberate decision. Um, cause I think sometimes people are happy to go to, you know, an eight on the hunger scale because it was delicious and great and it was totally worth it. And I think that's fine. And that's part of life and that can enhance meaning and enjoyment, like we've said, but um, I think as long as they're familiar with those concepts, it's less likely to be a scary thing because they've actually dealt with it before. And they've said like, I know where a six is on, on this and fullness end of the scale. I know where a seven is. I know I'm at an eight, but I also planned to be occasionally at an eight this month. And you know what, that's going to be just fine. Um, so 
you know, whether or not you use a hunger scale as such, or whether it's more of just a conversation around what type of fullness is enjoyable and what type is less enjoyable and where do you choose to draw the line? Um, you know, obviously there's lots of things that don't induce lots of fullness that we enjoy this time of year, like liquid cows, but, um, I do think that can play a pretty substantial role just in terms of like eating competency to begin with. Um, and if they're eating slowly and mindfully and enjoying it and choosing to stop at a level of fullness where they still feel comfortable, it's a lot harder to seriously overdo your calories. Yeah, I think you raised a couple of really brilliant points that I just want to elaborate on. So what I mentioned earlier about people who are higher risk of weight gain over the holiday period, uh, people who have a history of weight loss specifically, uh, they're in an energy deficit or attempting to diet prior to uh, the festive period because that increases the susceptibility of overeating, right? Um, if your hunger levels are high because you've lost a heap of weight and you've been uh, restricting your calorie intake, um, all of a sudden, uh, it's a lot harder to regulate hunger and fullness, as Anna was saying, um, and to apply uh, you know, those skills when you're in social events. So I think a big tip for a lot of coaches or people out there listening is to one, have a period of maintenance prior to the holiday season. If uh, this is somebody who probably doesn't have a lot of uh, success, prior success or experience managing uh, their nutrition body weight over the festive season, because it just allows people to uh, yeah, develop more competency around uh, eating, mindful eatingness, mindful eating, mindful eating. And uh, yeah, just develop that awareness around their hunger and fullness so they can uh regulate uh their eating behaviors when in these social situations and also uh, it just prevents people uh you know feeling really unmotivated when they do experience weight gain from an indulgence or overeating a social event because if all they've seen for the last couple of months is the scale go down and all of a sudden their perception of success is weight loss and then hey presto their weight's pinging up and down uh, and it, it can just It'd be disastrous people just fall into yo-yo dieting traps and it can be an absolute shit show and then all of a sudden new year's rolls around and the same stuff sort of uh, goes on but if you can set people up with a period of maintenance or even slight weight gain prior to the festive period in my opinion um, you can really offset a lot of the overindulgent uh, type behaviors and set people up for success because then when the new year rolls around if they do gain a little bit of weight, at least they don't have a lot of diet fatigue and they're not burnt out mentally from trying to combat all of these external pressures uh, during this festive season when they're you know trying to lose weight at the same time. So that would be, uh, yeah, an extension of what Anna said there. Mac, I can see you uh, are in deep thought over there. Talk to me, mate. Well, I would definitely extend what you said, which was an extension of what Anna said. Is this and a familiar circle jerk? I was going to say, we've just really, we've yes. forgotten the circle joke. Perfect. Perfect. Full, right. full. I'm not going to say what I was thinking, <laughs> but I'll tell you later. But anyway, yes, it is. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I definitely think dieting up until the start of proper festivities is a dangerous situation. You know, <laughs> you're pretty much set up for like insatiable hunger, the anticipation, you know, the pendulum swinging the other way. You've just been like in a deep, rigid dieting. You know, a lot of people will approach that that it that way anyway. And all of a sudden the floodgates open, you give them an inch and they take a mile. 
Um, so yeah, I think pretty much from almost now, early December, moving away from being in a calorie deficit, if that's what you've been doing, but not just bringing the calories up, also changing your approach to food. Like, you know, if you were tracking, trying to not track so much or move away from that prior to the Christmas period, um, you know, how you're approaching food, your food selection, uh, getting comfortable with those more palatable foods that you may be omitted during the dieting phase. Just so when Christmas hits, you're not like, whoa, really hard to control. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, if you're white knuckling on the 1st of December, it's not going to get better. Yeah. Like mm. Your life is going to hurt in 25 days. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think this is the trap that a lot of people fall into is that they just uh, have weight loss goals on a pedestal um, and it's the only goal that they know how to chase. And, you know, obviously with, uh, you know, being uh, in Australia, summer is uh, when we celebrate Christmas. So people want to be in shape. And it's just a really difficult time for people to try and diet. Um, you know, you're fighting an uphill battle. Uh, so you're much better off, uh, you know, letting this uh, this one slide, you know, accepting that you're not going to lose any weight. Um, and it's probably not realistic uh, or, and it's not going to be enjoyable. Uh, and it's probably going to cut into uh, the amount of flexibility uh, you can have with your, you know, food-related choices. So I think, yes, it's a very good idea for people to, uh, approach their nutrition in a phasic manner, uh, you know, where they have periods of maintenance, fat loss, weight gain, so on and so forth, and line that up, you know, around key key events, whether it's a wedding, birthday, so on and so forth, travel, holidays, and the festive season. I seldom do I have a client, uh, you know, diet over Christmas. Mm. Like, unless they're competing in a physique sport, it's maintenance from like end of November all the way through till, till Jan or whenever they're ready to sort of, uh, you know, get back on uh, with their life, so to speak, in a more regular routine. Hmm. I do have a question, which is oblique, but I'm still going to ask it. Yeah. Um, Mac, what are some strategies you've got? Like I've got one in mind, but I want your take for clients or, or just people out there that actually want to say no in the moment, but get sucked in by peer pressure and like they will regret the decision. They don't want to do it in the moment, but they've been pulled into the extra dessert or the second plate of food or the 84th drink or like whatever it is. Is that something you talk through with your clients or see come up fairly often? And, and do you have favorite skills for managing that one? Well, that is a really tough question. Yeah, just just under the bus right away. <laughs> yeah, it's it's honestly, I'll be completely honest with everyone here. It's something that I've not found a solution to that I feel like is the silver bullet. Hmm. Um, but I think there is a lot of power in the reflection. And if people repeatedly do it, but they repeatedly reflect, it becomes like a pro and con decisional balance thing where eventually the repeated cons just start to accumulate so much and they've had so many experience experiences where they have not felt good after and that can be like i physically don't feel good because i've you know consumed food or indulged in a way that i feel really bad about but also the psychological thing knowing it conflicts with their values i honestly think just repetition with reflection can lead to 
it being easier for them to, you know, I guess not resist would be the right word. I can't think of a, a better phrase right now, but resist that push from the the pressure rather from social conformity. Um, one other thing with that is that process can take time. And mm-hmm. I think client buy-in to you as a coach is so important there because it takes time. And if they're struggling and they they keep lapsing for like kind of doing the old, oh, this coach isn't working for me or I'll just quit throwing the towel and then, you know, in a couple more months, I'll find a new coach or a new fad diet and I'll do that. The same cycle will happen. So I think empathy is super key. So you don't feel like you're pushing them away. You don't feel, they don't feel like their self-efficacy is just being like hammered down into the ground, Um, like celebrating the small wins, uh, being patient with them. Uh, There was one more thing that I had in my mind, which escapes me, but yeah, that's the overall, I think process that you would want to go about. Um, But like I said, full disclosure, full honesty, I do not have a silver bullet strategy for you uh, today. Do you have one? (laughs) Uh, No, I mean, the thing I was thinking, I was far less holistic than what you were saying. I was like, oh, damn, I'm so... Mm, Holistic. (laughs) Um, Yeah, buzzwords. That's Um, Jacob's favorite word. Oh, there you go. He looks triggered. This is good. (laughs) Um, No, I think the just the like very simple one that I will sometimes suggest with clients is um, never provide a reason for why you're saying no. Just say no, thank you. That is enough. You don't owe anyone an explanation for why you're choosing not to eat or drink something. Uh, And the second you offer a reason, they will try to poke holes in the logic. And it's not necessarily a logic-based thing. It could be an emotional decision, but you do not owe them an explanation. You can simply say no it's your body it's your food fuck them what about you jacob jacob's like i just tell them that they need to try harder because i'm a macro coach i just say if you fail you're a failure <laughs> and you're uncoachable you're yep. never gonna make it so just give up beautiful um, no i think as you guys would know like it's a case-by-case situation what works for some people doesn't work for other people and i mm-hmm. think when it comes to the rate at which people learn as Mac was sort of alluding to when it comes to reflecting on prior experiences and stuff like that, some people reflection and obviously like wearing the compounding cost of decisions that don't align with their goals. Like it takes a long time for them to to wake up to themselves and go, Hey shit, this is something that I need to fix. Whereas some people, they get it pretty quickly. Um, I think when it comes to, yeah, getting people to deal with peer pressure, um, it's very much a question about do you uh, value this person's opinion, mm. right? And do you value your goals more than their opinion? And I think framing it like that and just having uh, people think about those two contrasting, uh, I guess, values, mine versus theirs, uh, um, can be really eye-opening because all of a sudden it's like, oh, holy shit, I'm actually valuing their opinion more than I value my goals or my decisions, and my eight sense of agency over my decisions. That's a pretty unsettling realization for a lot of people who struggle with uh, peer pressure is that their decisions are influenced by the people. Nobody wants to be controlled. We all want autonomy and agency over our lives, right? Um, so I think if you pose it like that, people very quickly uh, realize 
that it's not something that they want to continue doing. I think from there, you've got a pretty uh, solid foundation of like, okay, well, we can see this is a problem. Now let's find out ways that we can approach this. Like, you know, what do they say? Just getting really practical. Like, what do they say that uh, influences you the most? Is it if they scoff and like they make you feel bad? Okay, well, what can you say in response to that? And as Anna said earlier, you know, going through that rehearsal process of, you know, planning out some uh, responses and the way that they're going to attack it. And if they do that planning up the responses, like the things that... And they just say, hey, excuse me, you're not agreeing with my decisions. So somebody just pull up my phone one second. I've got something to say. To <laughs> exactly. <laughs> did you get that one, Mac, or did that go over your head? You look, you look a bit behind there. I know I've got it. Um, I didn't um, get that one. <laughs> I'll draw you a picture next time. Derailed. Um, <clears throat> it, like, I think the things that we assume people will say are so much worse than what they will actually say. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Like, we catastrophize. People have a negativity bias they're always going to think the worst of everything and you know that's typically what happens so i think yeah getting people in those situations and then realizing oh that wasn't that bad when yeah. i sort of stood up to that person they actually accepted it like that was easier yeah. than i thought and then you build on those you know prior successes and i think that's a very powerful thing yeah and i think like you know one of the things if we're doing that rehearsal is like with a client and they say like oh what if, you know what if they say this i was just like is your friend a dick like, yeah. are they right. really gonna would you say that to them like it's just it doesn't happen that way most of the time and if it does happen but most of the time that it happens it's not from someone that you're like yeah I love and respect them it's not that's not how it goes down it's not from you're not getting criticism from someone you would take advice from so you can probably throw it out the window yeah Mac any final uh, remarks no I think that was pretty on the money. Um, I like your point about how they're being like, they're placing others opinions higher than you, their own values. Um, and that's sort of that choice point thing. And I think it also ties into the 10, 10, 10 thing as well. Um, because whilst using the 10, 10, 10 strategy can make you realize that it's not as bad as you think. And maybe you're catastrophizing with what Anna said, which was the create the time gap thing um, and a few other bits and bobs that encourage mindful food decision or conscious food decision-making. I think that someone's going to be more cognizant of their values in the moment uh, and be better positioned to sort of compare and contrast the importance of say the opinions of others and their own values. Like how would you feel about this in 10 months? or 10 days in a lot of cases, people would probably say I should probably stick to my own values. Um, so I think there's a bit of tie into that, but yeah, I think you guys probably nailed it on the hit the nail on the head. Awesome. Well, I think that's probably a good place to wrap things up guys. Appreciate you listening and Anna and Mackenzie, thank you very much for coming on and sharing your wisdom. Anna, where can people find you uh, for more about what you do? Uh, I'm mostly active on Instagram at Anna Wish Fitness. Awesome. And there's no point following Mackenzie, guys. He's just full of woo-woo nutrition advice and orange. Holistic stuff. Orange. Yeah, holistic. <laughs> orange well, he was just telling me he doesn't make content anymore, so. <laughs>
At least you don't have orange hair anymore, Mac. That's true. That's true. But we'll keep the uh, orange uh, infographics. I'll let that slide. I'll accept <laughs> nah, that. Make sure you uh, yeah, follow the guys. They put out plenty of great content and we'll speak to you all next time. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks, y'all. Thank you, Anna. Rook.